Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. everybody today we're talking about the 1984 sci-fi zombie action mall romp maybe night of the comet starring Catherine mary stewart robert beltran kelly maroney and jeffrey lewis and in addition we have a special guest with us today star of the movie Catherine mary stewart joined us for a conversation yeah, I'm kind of like I'm jazzed right now. She's a really cool lady. Yeah, we had a we had a good conversation with with Catherine Stewart, who plays Regina Belmont in this movie. You'll hear bits of our conversation throughout the podcast. It was great of her to sit down and talk with us about about making this movie and a bunch of other topics. So we'll we'll make sure to get all that as much of that as we can in here. This movie was made. On a budget of $700,000, which isn't a whole lot of money for a feature film, even in the 80s. But it grossed $3.5 million on its opening weekend and has made over $14 million worldwide. A film yeah. mostly in L.A. One of the things that I, I noticed when, when preparing to, to watch this movie and to talk about it, um, folks have smoked a little pot, did this you? film. <laughs> folks have studied this movie Mm. they really have and Mm -hmm. there's um there are online resources uh detailing this shot was at this address and this intersection Mm -hmm. is right here and that's so and so's car and does that surprise you that people have put so much effort into analyzing the details of this movie you know fans of any movie, I I guess, just do the deep dive. They get into it. Um, they'll they will. Yeah, I mean, I if you ask me where our house was, for instance, I wouldn't be able. I not it, ever mm-hmm. could I tell you where it was. I forget <laughs> completely. It was somewhere on the valley, and I'm sure it's now um, really really built up. Um, it was kind of like one of those developments. It was sort of the, it felt like it was kind of the edge of a development. And I'm sure it's just a completely different place now. But um, yeah, you'll, you'll get every once in a while on social media, like a picture of the house. <laughs> it's like, oh, where is that? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, people get really into it. And it's, it's kind of cool. But that happens with a lot of movies with a big fan or a you know, dedicated fan base like that. A lot of horror movies, you know, people will go, they'll literally, I have a friend who's a big horror fan and he will literally plan a vacation around horror movie locations, you know, like that. So um, yes, it surprises me because it's not something that I do, but but over time, again, it, it, it's sort of like this delayed reaction. You know, I had no idea any of this stuff was happening until like social media came along and conventions came along. And all of a sudden you get this whole new perspective and dimension to what, what, you know, the audience or the fans uh, really see the movie as. Yeah. Movie was written and directed by Tom Eberhardt, known for directing the pilot for Parker Lewis Can't Lose. 
also known for directing Without a Clue and Rats. And he wrote the screenplay for Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. I love Parker Lewis, Can't Lose. That was a great show. That was fun. The only thing I remember about that uh, show was one episode where apparently he was Tone Loke's financial advisor. Yeah, that was a great show. It was like, I don't know, Ferris Bueller, Can't Lose. And Yeah, I think uh, it was inspired by Ferris Bueller. That one guy from Rock and Roll High School that had that office set up in the bathroom, that Eddie Bauer guy. Yeah. That Clint Howard played. That's what it was. It was more like that kind of style, though. Yeah, that show uh, would break the fourth wall a lot and in very Ferris Bueller fashion would just stop the action and he would talk to the camera. It worked better in Ferris Bueller than it did in Parker Lewis Can't Lose, but, you know, they gave it a shot. Cinematographer for this movie was Arthur Albert, and this guy is, I believe, hugely responsible for the success of this film. He's known uh, for his cinematography work in Beverly Hills Ninja, Happy Gilmore, Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, and Saving Silverman. Yeah, Saving Silverman. Yeah. And this one is like really dreamy. It's like, Kind of reminds me of like uh, early like uh, 80s MTV, like it's like got this really kind of like Twilight Zone feel to it. Right. Know? Yeah, it's, it is a very surreal feel to this whole movie. As we <laughs> said, the movie stars Catherine Mary Stewart as Regina Belmont. She appeared in Days of Our Lives, Knight Rider, Guiding Light, The Last Starfighter, Weekend at Bernie's, and a couple episodes of The Outer Limits. Uh, I love your work. Yeah, I've seen a lot of your movies. Um, <laughs> Thanks. What was it that drew you to this project? Well, I just finished The Last Starfighter before I started on Night of the Comet. And up to that point, I'd sort of played a lot of girls next door kind of a thing. You know, I was in Days of Our Lives, like the original Kayla Brady. And and she was very mm-hmm. sweet and innocent. And then in... Um, in The Last Starfighter, I was, you know, the girl back in the trailer park and very sort of sweet and didn't really want to go anywhere and all that other stuff. And and so when I read this script, I was like, oh, now we're talking, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I sort of felt like Reg was more, um, more like me, first of all. The other characters I was like kind of, you know, digging through sort of the por- part of me that is uh, those characters, that this one was like more natural. I grew up with two older brothers. I was like, you know, always trying to keep up with them. I was always pretty active and athletic. I was a dancer for a long, long time. So I was pretty physically fit. And, um, and, and I just loved kind of her, you know, her toughness and her independence. And, and also this script is, is such a unique script. It's sort of, a zombie movie, kind of a horror flick thing, kind of a mm-hmm. apocalyptic thing, but they're really sort of tongue in cheek. There's a lot of humor in it as well. Um, and I really loved that about it. You know, it didn't take itself so seriously. And um, and it's and I think that kind of aspect of it still holds up today because it's really different from, I mean, you don't see that co- combination of things in a lot of, yeah, a lot of movies. So, um, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. That's something that I notice a lot that that actors will will say during shooting a movie. We all realize this thing sucks. 
So let's have fun <laughs> with it. There aren't that many who say, you know, in the middle of shooting, we all realize this is something special. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I heard somebody say that about the Godfather, but but that makes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one, this one, we were just. I mean, I think we we felt really good about it. But I I always sort of refer to it as guerrilla filmmaking because it was under a million dollars, and we were sort of shooting at really weird hours to get the um, scenes, like in downtown LA. It was around Christmas time, really early mm. in the morning. Um, having said that, it was the 80s, the early 80s, and there really wasn't a lot of people downtown on weekends or, you know, it was sort of a, a banking area or maybe hotels. Businessmen would fly in and, and have meetings there and stuff. Now it's a completely different. You could never shoot a movie like this uh, and get that sort of abandoned look, you know, could never do that unless you had this massive budget and a police force holding traffic back <laughs> which we did not have <laughs> so yeah not even a little bit it, you know I, I know I was saying that it was kind of like guerrilla shooting I mean it was very collaborative everybody had to be on board if, if somebody was like yeah like doing this then it, it would never have worked you know it, you had to just be there for the movie one time the makeup guy didn't show up just in the morning, like they we're sitting and Kelly and I are going, <laughs> and you know, girls, boys don't have to do as much makeup as girls do in general. And, and fortunately, she and I both could do our own makeup. It wasn't that big a deal, but it was so funny that that guy didn't show up one day. I think he'd gone out partying. He was a great guy, wonderful makeup artist. And he showed up the next day, but it was just one of those nights, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So we did our own hair and makeup and, you know, you just had to be there. You just had to be present and work together and all be on the same page, um, which is which is fun because you sort of feel like you have this sort of intimate connection with it. Ultimately. What's something you absolutely hated about making this movie? <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, you see, I've never had that question before. Had, was there challenges? What did you love? What was your favorite scene? What did I hate? Well, there was nothing really to hate about it. I mean, I suppose shooting um, on first thing in the morning, you know, Christmas Eve or something wasn't the most fun in the world. But honestly, you know, when you shoot a movie, you can't, you can't sort of dictate the hours. My what I hate the most is shooting at night. I hate night shooting. So although we had a lot of fun doing the whole mall scene, you know, dancing around and we had to shoot that at night. So it was like, you know, because the store has to close down and then we set it all up and we have like one night to do it. So it was a night shoot, um, which is just, yeah, my body never adjusts to that stuff. It's like, it, it, you know, you have to, you go to bed in the morning and you wake up in the evening. And I've had shoots where I will wake up at 5.30 in the afternoon and the sun is setting. And I'm thinking, is this 5.30 in the morning? It says 5.30 on the clock. Is it morning? <laughs> is it night? Or it, uh, oh, that's my least favorite thing to do is night shooting. Yeah, and everything. She's had a very, very successful career. I think she's even got some stuff coming out next year. Still very active or productive as an actor. 
Also stars Kelly Maroney as Samantha Belmont, known for her roles in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Ryan's Hope, and True Blood. Yeah, I remember on True Blood. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that's that chick. She's iconic in this, though. That The whole the uh, Rebels cheerleader outfit and a Uzi and like popping, you know, chewing gum. That's like yeah. iconic as hell. People got that like on posters and t shirts and stuff. Right. Next, we've got Robert Beltran as Hector Gomez. Oh, man. He's known to me, at least, as Commander yep. Chicote uh, on Star Trek Voyager. Chicote. <laughs> I can't believe, yeah, the whole time I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's the guy from Voyager dressed up like Santa Claus. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. He also had roles in Eating Raul. He's not the only person in this movie that was in Eating Raul. It was also in Nixon and Big Love. Big Love was great. I loved that show. Yeah. And uh, we also have Jeffrey Lewis as Dr. Carter in this movie, known for his roles on Falcon Crest, The Devil's Rejects, Lawnmower Man, Double Impact. And he's pretty much your go-to character actor for 80s television. Yeah. Also, if you want, like, just, uh, he plays really good drunk hitman or something. He, I've, I've seen a bunch of movies, he's just, like, some drunk redneck hitman that's got, like, on his last hope or something. And he just yeah, he I plays can that part good. It's kind of like the, that part he played at Banjo Sullivan and uh, Devil's Rejects, kind of like that. But, like, you know, you know, he's got, like, a revolver and, like, a brown paper sack or something, you know. Yeah. I just like him. I like how he acts and stuff. The only thing that bugged me about him in this movie was, like, I think he's wearing a wig, and the way he holds a clipboard was nerfed. It got on my nerves so much. Yeah, they've got his hair styled in a very weird weird way in this movie. It's almost like they just combed his hair straight down over his eyes. It just, it, it's, it looks weird. And finally, we have Mary Warrenoff as Audrey White, also from Eating Raul, Death Race 2000, and Warlock. She's great. I love her and a lot of stuff. Uh, she played the principal in the rock and roll high school. Yeah. And uh, yeah, her and that dude in Eating Raul. Raul am I saying it right? Yeah, Eating Raul. Yeah, like she had this guy that played like her husband or something in that movie. And yeah. like they're playing the same characters at the beginning of uh, uh, Shopping Mall. Mm-hmm. And like I think they played the same characters in some music videos. It's like the same. Yeah, she was in that, uh, what was it? I'm not crazy, you know, Suicidal Tendencies video. She played the mom. Yeah. Yeah, she did. I love her. Anytime I see her and stuff, I'm like, oh, man. It's, it's, it's. The only thing I didn't like about her in this movie, I understand she's depressed. She under, She knows what's happening, and she knows how it's going to end, but she seems drunk through the whole thing. A little bit, yeah. Or just totally disenfranchised. Yeah, she's she's completely checked out from everything that's going on. So the movie opens up with a view of the stars and a dramatic voiceover explaining that a comet is returning after 65 million years and Earth is going to pass right through its tail, causing a spectacular light show. We see a few scientists locking themselves in a bunker while the rest of the world parties. And we cut to a movie theater holding a special midnight comet show inside the theater lobby mel is trying to sell alien headbands little antenna headbands like they were used cars (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
See this one here, this has got eight, it's, that's eight dollars. But this one here, this is much nicer. It's springier, it's got the little tassels on it. That one's gonna be nine dollars. You don't want to get these cheap ones over here. You want to get these over here. They got the big, like, bigger thing of bobs on the end. You, you want to get those. Put that on. Doesn't that feel nice? You wouldn't want to feel anything less than. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love that guy. Every time I see him, I'm like, yeah, he's always like that. I remember his, uh, he was like the rich uncle in UHF or something. Yeah. He's got that face, too. It's like he was sculpted. He's like a weird looking guy. Right, he's got a he's he's got a face that will only allow him to play certain parts. <laughs> no Meanwhile, Regina is playing Tempest and apparently doing it extremely well. She oh, yeah. is super focused on that game, and uh, when it's finally over and she's putting her initials in the high score slot, she notices there's ten spots there, and she doesn't have all of them. Somebody with the initials DMK has taken the number six spot. Blasphemy. <laughs> right. She's How not happy you. about that. That's her game. She owns that game. How dare anybody else put their initials? <laughs> well, Mel has been trying to convince her to take flashlight and and walk through the theater and make sure none of those hoodlums are cutting up the seats there. She doesn't want to do it because they throw stuff at her. Yeah, throw milk goats at me. <laughs> good job go do your job so she finally takes the flashlight but she also takes a bag of popcorn with her as well mel warns her that she needs to stay out of the projection booth and stay away from larry dupree In the next scene we see inside the projection booth with larry dupree he is trying to rent out a copy of it came from outer space nice and nice foreshadowing on that whole thing yeah there are a couple little Easter eggs in here as well. Regina comes in and Larry drafts her to help him sneak back into the theater tonight so that he can rent out this bootleg copy of the movie. She wants to see the comet instead, but Larry says they can watch it on TV. Larry's and kind of a jerk, man. Yeah, he's he's looking out for Larry and that's all that matters. Uh, next, we cut to Sam. She is on the sofa eating chips and watching a very low-key reporter talking about the comet. The, the first part of the Earth to pass through the comet's tail will be Newfoundland. Coincidentally, all telecommunications with Newfoundland have ceased. They don't know what's going on yet. Regina calls Sam and wants her to tell Doris that she's going to be at the uh, observatory all night to watch the comet with her science class. And this is when we meet their stepmom, Doris. Doris is the stereotypical wicked stepmother. She's also cheating on their dad. Yeah. Um, apparently their dad is uh, military special forces and he is in Central America. But that's okay. Doris isn't lonely while he's gone. And when Sam mentions that her dad might be interested to learn that. Well, Doris gives her a good slap. Sam's not going to take that lightly and slaps Doris back. And that's when Doris just hauls off and decks her and knocks her over the sofa. <laughs> oh, man. I love that part, though, because the way they edited it, it looks like she like, does this like, super car wheel and slams right beside the TV. And then yeah. that, the deadpan yeah. reporter is like, hey, I, I forgot what he says. He says something like, he says, Holy goofy. Did they like, have, yeah, 
she she lands right next to the television and you hear the reporter say it looks like we have a really nice crowd here tonight yeah <laughs> it's a really nice crowd really, oh my god i love yeah. that kind of like little i mean yeah it's like man that's like she really hit that kid you know and it's like that's domestic abuse you know child abuse and stuff and then just right. like that little linger right there on the tv kind of like lightens it up and you know i mean yeah, it, 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 you go to jail know. now for doing that to a kid but in 1984 i guess you just put it in the script is something that happens yeah I'm, I'm just saying it's like it kind of like it lets you know like the whole situation like you know this is a step monster and like really mean to her step children and like really mean and it's like but it's okay because we don't have to worry about it for long because we're gonna get to the movie you know yeah it, it's like yeah this is this is the this is you know the drama these kids put up with you know the, well outside the house it's a neighborhood block party Doris tells her good friend Chuck she will never marry another man who has kids. So it's pretty much a foregone conclusion to her that she's going to marry again. This one isn't going to last. And never again will she marry somebody who has kids. Then we see lightning start to flash in the sky as they start to pass through the tail of the comet. Over at the theater, Reg and Larry are making out in a sleeping bag. This is where we find out that the projection booth is lined with steel. Not even Superman can see through it, according to Larry. But he's wrong now. Yeah, yeah. Reg does correct him and let him know that it's lead that Superman can't see through. Not so he can totally see. But the radio DJ says he's going to put the station on autopilot and sneak out to see the comet. And then we get some really weird shots of the night sky going completely nuts. Oh, man, I love that whole thing where it's like TV static. Yeah, that's really, really I don't know. Like, I've never it's, seen that it's kind of like TV that. static and super cheesy laser beams all at the same time. Love it. It's so cool. Yeah. Like, you can't replicate well, I mean, you could replicate it, but like, you know, they did it first. I know it's really cool. Like the, the whole look of this movie is like awesome. Also, for some reason, it takes place around Christmas. In LA. Right. So this is like, Christmas Eve in LA. It's like, uh, you know, lethal weapon. There's just like Christmas trees and stuff around. And that's the only indication that it's Christmas time. Yeah. I was in Southern California for a little while back in 2000. And it was, I was in San Diego and it was 80 degrees on Christmas Day. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> So then we fade to black, and the next thing we see is the sunrise over a Los Angeles skyline, and the sky is red. There's dust blowing through streets that are basically empty, except for clothes that have left been scattered in the street. Uh, we see a shot of a Mercedes sitting idling empty at a red light with Christmas carols playing on the radio. Yeah, that, And that's the weird. whole city seems abandoned. Yeah. I also like this whole scene where like all the machines come like wake up. Yeah, we see a little shot of a swim of a timer on a swimming pool and the and the pump filters turn on. We see another timer that turns on a clown holding a sign outside a, a used car lot. We see a timer click and turn on some lawn sprinklers. You know, the, it's like the city's waking up, but 
there's no one living in the city anymore. Well, hell no. And all we see in the street besides these things, we see clothes and lots of red dust. Well, inside the theater, Larry's uptight because the film he loaned out has not been returned. He's he's panicking. He's going to go try to find the guy. He tells Regina that if the guy calls, you tell him I'm very, 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 very pissed. <laughs> what about my 15 bucks? Well, you tell him you're pissed, too. <laughs> I love that. That whole thing was like, oh, man. Yeah. Larry did offer Regina $15 if she'd help him out with this with this scheme. And she did. And the guy was supposed to pay Larry $100, hundred and $150, $110, something like that, to borrow this bootleg copy of the movie for one night. And Regina was going to get $15 of that if she helped him out. And now not only is the movie not back, but she doesn't get her $15 either. At the back door of the theater, Larry hears some noise out there, and he assumes it's the guy bringing back the movie. Uh, when he opens the door, there's a zombie standing there who smacks him over the head with a pipe wrench and drags him off. Bye-bye, Larry. I love the zombies there, in this movie. So there like is, there's a poster on the wall inside the projection booth with a, a, a Marlon Brando movie, and I, I can't remember what it's called. And then there's a poster on this door for a Clark Gable, Gene Harlow movie called Red Dust. Yeah, I thought so that was funny. The, yeah, all the posters in here are, are something related to this movie. Well, back in the lobby of the hotel, Regina is kicking ass at Tempest again. She's been working on knocking DMK off the high scores list. They've also got an asteroids uh, cabinet and a centipede cabinet in this lobby as well. But that doesn't matter. She's playing Tempest. And I don't blame her. I loved that game when when I was playing video games in the 80s, too. I, 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 was, I still play it. I was never any good at asteroids, and I didn't like Tempest or Centipede all that much. I mainly played Galaga and Tempest. I was a big Donkey Kong guy. <laughs> yeah, I love Donkey, Donkey Kong. Kong. Tron. I remember that Tron game. Like, oh man, it played a hell out of that. Oh yeah, yeah. The little light bike things, which was really just a a more colorful version of Snake. Yeah, I like the the disc thing where you're like throwing the disc. Yeah, which is it's just like pong, but you get to catch the ball, or I guess you know. Yeah. All right. So Regina decides to take a look outside the El Rey Theater. This is actually a, this theater is still active in Los Angeles as a music venue. And all she can see are clothes scattered around and more of this red dust. She's used a trash can to block the door open. But while she's out looking around, the trash can slides out of the door and now she's locked out of the theater. <laughs> she decides to go around back to the alley to get in the back door. But it's locked, too. Um, there's nobody in this alley, but she's looking around, and there's Larry's bike. Larry was supposed to have taken his bike to go find the guy that had the movie. What the heck is going on here? Well, 
she um she heads over towards the bike and there's a bunch of cardboard boxes stacked up in this alley and she thinks she hears something behind them she doesn't see anything so she starts to turn back towards the bike and out comes the zombie holding a big chunk of meat that we can only assume is what's left of larry yeah <laughs> and now he's coming after regina she beats him up pretty good and then takes off on the bike we get a lot of shots of an abandoned los angeles here as regina's riding through the streets on larry's bike presumably heading home yeah that, um, that's the the what i was talking about where the dp just got really dreamy and stuff the music melts really well with it too it's like right long like you know where you got her she just pulls up to like an empty street and like there's that big building in the background she drives off it's like really cool yeah and it looks like it looks almost like a ride through los angeles but uh, if if you if you watch it closely there's probably like a three block area that they're using here and, and yeah, it's like one, one intersection yeah they just move the camera around and just have her go around that like same block over and over again. Yeah. They're able to recycle that same intersection several times and make it look like a completely different location. It's done really well. Then she comes up on that car that's playing music that you did earlier. Yeah. Just uh, I don't get that. Like I get that you know, I get I get why she got to that car and stuff. It's like what the hell is going on? But like there's one car in LA, like you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And it's perfectly parked. I don't, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's 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 like the the car was just in park there at the intersection when whoever was driving got turned to dust. But yeah, and the other thing that I don't, well, I didn't think too much about it. Once I thought about it, I realized. You shouldn't think too much about this. All yeah. of the things that require people to to function, things like electricity, are still functioning without people. And that's one of those don't think too much about it things, I think. Yeah. It's going to plague me, though. You know it's going to plague me, Mike. <laughs> well, back home, Regina finds the house apparently empty. She's walking through trying to find anybody home. Sam and Regina scare each other. Sam ran away and spent the night in a lawn storage shed. Meanwhile, Regina's freaking out, but Sam is completely oblivious to whatever's going on. All yeah. he's worried about is pep squad practice later on, but nobody will answer the phone. She's fixing herself a bowl of post-Raisin Bran for breakfast. That's the other Raisin Bran, not the Two Scoops Raisin Bran. It's the other Raisin uh, Regina takes her outside to show her everybody's gone. Regina has figured out that these piles of red dust is all that's left of the people. And Sam finally starts getting scared at this point. How, how did y'all get that chemistry? Like, is it like your work beforehand or like how did y'all you know, get this together? Yeah, we, um, it's funny because Kelly and I have, we auditioned with different people because she's very blonde and very fair and I, my hair's darker and, and, um, we auditioned with people that sort of physically look more like us. But when we found out that we got the job, we didn't realize, I just assumed it was the girl that I auditioned with. And we, uh, were called into the studio to do a photo session. As you see these photos of, 
uh, she and I and our dad, right? Who, who happens to be the director, by the way, Tom Everhart, <laughs> dressed mm -hmm. up in a uniform. Um, we were called to the studio to do this photo session and that's the first time we met. Um, so it was like, and then we didn't really spend very much time together, like delving into character and all that other junk. And, and the first day of the shoot was the scene in um, our house where I show, I've done, we didn't shoot the motorcycle stuff where I'm sort of looking around wondering where everybody is. We shoot it when I come in the house and I'm calling for her and I don't know really what's going on. And so basically the scene in the kitchen where I'm like, there's nobody, there's nobody, where are the kids, where are the guys, all that stuff. That was the first day. And um, a lot of it, times in these low budget movies with like really super experienced actors, um, they'll kind of like write the first day off and they'll have the location for two days so that they can just reshoot the next day because, you know, we're sort of working our way into it. But they were really, really happy with the performances and how it looked and how it came across. So I think Kelly and I were just really lucky. Um, we kind of worked differently, but we were both in it, you know, I mean, I, I, we were lucky that there was such great chemistry and um, we're still really good friends today. I mean, we really are sort of like sisters still. We hear the radio. We hear the radio in the background and we hear the DJ saying something about their Friday night show. So the radio station's still on autopilot. So Sam and Regina decide they're going to head to the radio station for some reason. Don't know why. Also, like she tripped over that dog leash on their way out. Yeah, she picks up the, the dog leash. And it's, of course, next to a pile of red dust. It apparently used to be the dog. And things are starting to become more real to Sam. Yeah. Well, they get to the radio station and, and they can't find anybody there. So they're just looking around. I love that neon light wall that was animated in, in the background in this radio. I love that whole radio station, man. I would move in that like yesterday. That, that giant thing, that serpentine that so sofa. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, who? what radio station is this, man? Right. We've seen WKRP in Cincinnati. Radio stations don't look like this. Also, on the outside of it, it looks like, I don't know, some, like, bummy, like, bar. It looks like a warehouse, almost. Yeah, and you go inside, and it's like, I don't know, uh, the 80s Willy Wonder uh, Wonderland or something. It's just, it's it's insane how cool this place is. That's, that's another thing that was, like, this movie's, like, dreamy and atmosphere is, like, that whole thing. Every time you're in that radio station, it's like a hallucination, really. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And any more radio stations just look like an office building because everything's computerized. Yeah. But I mean, back then, you even back then, you know, that's not what radio stations looked like. But it was uh -huh. awesome. I loved it. I loved that the dancing neon light wall they had back there. Pillars and like, yeah, there's like a smoke machine in there. It's like really smoking. <laughs> like, I know it's supposed to be smoky in radio stations and TV and movies, you know, but right. man, this is like a fog machine. Well, there's a guy hiding by one of those pillars with a gun. Oh, and yeah. Sam and Regina are, are walking through. They get back to the booth and there's no DJ there. Just a series of just reel-to-reel -reel tape players that are clicking on and off, playing commercials and playing music and playing voiceover. The whole thing's automated. 
this is where we meet Hector. Hector pull, gets to drop on the girls. He wants to make sure Sam isn't a zombie, so she needs to come into the light and, and, and open her eyes real wide so that he's convinced that she's not a zombie. He starts to relax and tell them his story, but Regina's not relaxing yet. She just grabs a microphone stand. She's, she's ready to knock him over the head if she has. Hector had picked up a girl the night before. They were traveling and zombies got her. She was torn apart by a zombie. And this is where Regina realizes that's probably what happened to Larry, too. <laughs> yeah, it dawns on her. And then she like puts that microphone down, you know, she doesn't yeah. care. The guy yeah. probably sees that she's, she's about to like brain him. She's like, Oh my God. And they're like, like, yeah, I just, I just saw understand. some guy eating my boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes running to the bathroom. Hector goes to check on her and tries to smooth things over through the bathroom door. Regina wants to know where he spent the night. He said he was in the back of his truck with a girl he picked up. And Regina decides that as long as you were in something that was made out of steel, she was in a steel-lined projection booth. Sam was in a steel lawn shed, and Hector was in his truck. That that's what protected him from the comet. Meanwhile, Sam's playing radio DJ. Yeah. <laughs> While she's checking lie. out Hector's gun. I would do the same thing, man. If I was a teenage kid, and it's like yeah. the end of the world. That'd be perfect. I'd just start. You know what? This is this is what's in. This is what's out. You know. Yeah. Drinking She's age. She's announcing 10. all the new rules. I love um, that. Drinking I mean, age is now ten. But come on, we're still gonna have to have an ID. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Regina's checking out Hector's gun while they're working on this, and and based on the exaggerated pronunciation of Hector, and. Her assessment that this gun, I guess, is okay for date night in the barrio. Regina's a little bit racist. A little bit, yeah. That was like <laughs> kind of weird. There's a couple of things, but at the same time, I'm thinking maybe she's like trying to like goad him and like in his actual backstory, you know? That may be, yeah. And it's like, it's like, all right, you know, what's, what's the real shit here, you know? So like, yeah. it kind of comes out like she's being racist. At the same time, she's like, you know, she's there with her, like her kid sister. And like, this is like the only guy that's got around, like probably sizing them up too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to put on a, a, a strong front in front of this guy that she, that doesn't know her yet. And she wants to make sure that he doesn't mess with her. Yeah. Well, Sam's still playing DJ when she realizes the light on the phone is blinking. Somebody is calling in on the hit line. By the time Regina and Hector get to the phone, the line's dead, but Sam left the microphone on and their conversation is being broadcast throughout downtown Los Angeles. Uh, we cut to a bunker at a research facility in the desert. Sign's got a maze on it. Looks an awful lot like that maze in the HBO series Westwood. Westworld. That was a yeah. good show. Well, first two seasons. Uh, the staff are listening to the conversation on the radio. They plan to find the girls and bring them to this facility along with other survivors found in San Bernardino. They might be looking for a way to stop people from turning to dust. And 
we hear over the radio Sam telling him more of her conversation with the, the people on the phone it said that the zombies are affected by the comet. They're just turning to dust more slowly. And we see some shots of Los Angeles at night. We see Sam drinking a beer and driving way too fast on the freeway. Yeah. A couple of motorcycle cops start following her. So she pulls over, then realizes she has a beer in her hand and no driver's license. Yeah. It, it We've been there, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, shit, I got a beer. <laughs> shit, I don't even have a license. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's really nightmarish. <laughs> She's like dressed up in like a weird uh, gown too, and it like it's like all weird, totally off like what was like previously, you know, what was going down. Like now she's just driving around in like a prom dress, drinking and driving. And yeah, yeah, yeah she's just wearing a prom dress, but she wears she rolls down the window, and, and is there a problem, officer? Yeah, there's a problem because these cops are zombies, and they're gonna grab her. Uh, she tries to fight him off. She wakes up. This was just a dream, and she was on the sofa inside the radio station. Yeah, so she... that was totally nightmarish. Yeah. Well, she gets up from there. She heads into the restroom and starts undressing like she's going to take a bath in the sink. Yeah, and that, was, that was weird. That was very weird. And then a zombie cop walks up behind her and grabs her from behind. Uh, she's still dreaming, and this time... When she screams, it wakes everybody up. False awakenings, man. Yep. They get you every time. Every single time. It's got to the point when I'm watching one of these movies, if somebody's having a nightmare and they wake up, I just assume we're in another dream. Is They're not awake. Yeah. I hate it when they do it like six times in a row. <laughs> right, we get it, okay? Just wake this guy up already. Well, after she calms down Sam, Regina goes to talk to Hector. He has to go to San Diego. And he's got friends and family back there that he needs to check on. He's got to check on his. And suddenly Regina is much less antagonistic as they start to discuss their family. Regina and Hector start forming a bond, of course. And because when you put guy in room with girl, that's what happens. I, I don't know. He's he's yeah. He's starting to fall for her, but uh, yeah, she's still. I don't know. Yeah, she's yeah. She's still she's not fighting it too hard. Nah, but at the same time, it's like he's he's falling. He's simping way too quickly for this chick. Of course, yeah. yeah in this situation yeah. and stuff, it's like you know, oh crap, you guys keep popping earth or whatever. I guess like you know, stuff starts kicking in. And, but yeah, he's 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 falling for her pretty quickly. Yep. Well, Sam is listening to this from the other room, and apparently this has happened before, and she's not too happy about it. She's also itching like she has some kind of rash. I get the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the morning, they're outside. They're using a car for target practice. I think Regina was trying to make sure Sam could shoot if she needed to. Sam reminds Regina that if daddy were here, he would have gotten us Uzi. Yeah, I love that. The whole thing. <laughs> like, uh, what is it? They got like a Mac 10 or something. And they're like just spraying the shit out of this car. Like just emptying a clip and then it gets jammed. And she's like, they, they always do this. You know, just like they, every time. And she's like, yeah, yep. if daddy was here, he got us Uzi. Yep. Well, Sam, so confronts yeah. Sam confronts Regina about Hector. Uh, apparently, 
Last guy on earth, and Regina had to steal him. <laughs> Cut to Hector outside. Hector's in San Diego, and he's outside his mom's house. The house is empty. There's just a record player playing. So Hector starts packing up some things, mostly pictures and memorabilia, in a pillowcase. And then he hears a noise behind a door. When he opens up the door, it's a zombie kid. Oh, man. Hector slams the door on the zombie kid, but the zombie kid busts the door open. Apparently, it doesn't matter how small you are. Zombie strength is pretty awesome. Yeah. And the kid goes chasing Hector through the house. Hector's got a gun in his hand, but he's not going to shoot the kid. I, I think Hector will protect himself if he absolutely has to, but he'd rather not hurt anybody. Yeah. It's kind of like reluctant to shoot a kid. It was in the 80s and stuff. But, I mean, I, they had some of those movies in the 70s, but, like, you know, they had a, there right. was that one movie where like, that old guy like kills a whole town full of kids. That was a weird movie. I think it was a common movie, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's usually frowned upon. Now they kind of do it and stuff, but he does a zombie kid. And uh, that zombie kid's mean as hell, too. I mean, he tears the door, uh, throws like a, a table. Like, I don't know. It's, it's insane that the whole thing is like, it's, like, I like how they move that camera and through that. It's like a small house, you know? Right. And it's like just boom, boom. And then, like, all of a sudden, it's like, Hector's like, nope. And he's out the bathroom door or something on the side of the house. He's running. He's bucking with, like, his little. Yeah, the like, kid uh, chases kid chases Hector into the bathroom. Hector slams the door shut, and the kid does a here's Johnny through the bathroom door. So Hector climbs out the window. And takes off running down the street. Uh, back at the research facility, one of the scientists is having trouble concentrating. This is Audrey White. Um, she notes that the progression of whatever this is is accelerating and includes memory loss. When she misspelled memory, so she knows it's happening to her now. They're going to L.A. to, to conduct blood tests on survivors. They've also found children who survived and brought them to the facility and she is not happy about that yeah i don't know what it is about bringing people into this facility but she's dead set against let me cut to regina and sam they're sitting on the hood of a cop car in the middle of the street uh lights flashing nobody around just sitting on a cop car in the middle of the street they're still discussing hector apparently this is a topic that's going to take them a while to work through uh, that morphs into a conversation of friends who Sam is now realizing are all gone. And to cheer her up, they are going shopping in an abandoned department store. You know, that, that scene on the car is like, is so brilliant. I think that Kelly is so great in that scene because even the director, Tom, says he didn't really write it as you know, a devastating scene for her. It was just like, he got the whole premise from literally, he loves, uh, um, he loves these kind of apocalyptic movies where nobody's left in, in the city. He's, he'd always been a huge fan of that. So he was trying to come up with his idea. So he had this idea about what if these teenage girls were the only people left on earth? So he interviewed like these teenagers in LA and they were like, great <laughs> they weren't like oh my gosh my parents yeah. are gone so anyway that that i 
that uh, they were like, and he would be like, well, what would you do? Well, we'd go shopping. You mean, I mean, literally, we don't have to pay for anything. <laughs> uh, but in that scene, I think it was more written like, can you believe it? That I had this crush on this boy and now he's not around or whatever. But Kelly took it to a whole different level. And it is so touching and beautiful, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you got to give Kelly credit. She has some moments in this movie that just so stand out. Mm-hmm. Cue the dress up and dance montage. Oh, man. <laughs> I, love, I love when they have these in like TV shows and movies, but this one especially because it's like, I don't know. Like I said, the director of photography was really going like the extra mile for me on this because like everything in this looks really cool looking. I love the 80s for the clothes because you know, I mentioned that I was a dancer. So I and I have this dancer's body. I don't have like a very curvy body and everything. And then the 80s, they would have big shoulders and then the cinched in waist and then the poofy pants. And I thought, finally, I have shape. You know, and then the hair. <laughs> I love that hair. I mean, that was I just loved that hair uh, back in the day. I mean, it's it's <clears> fun <throat> to look back on. It's sort of funny, but when they do period pieces now, like in the eighties, it's always it feels like it's so exaggerated now, which I suppose happened when they did fifties pictures as well. But um, so yeah, I, you're I'm right. Sort of- you're looking at uh, things like Stranger Things, and they they get the clothes wrong. They get the shapes wrong or, or close, but then the colors are all super, super bright. And uh, yes. I lived that time, too. And that's not what we were wearing. <laughs> yeah, no. it's, it's yeah, I know. It's like over the top. But and yeah, this whole scene is like awesome as hell. Also, this mall is like, I don't know. It's like some kind of weird three tiered super mall or something. I don't know where this is. This is a department store in Los Angeles. It's like a four-story, five-story building. It's still there. It's offices now, but in in the early 80s, it was a department store. Yeah. And they were able to film there after hours. It's kind of like that show, Are You Being Served? It's like that kind of like a right. movie the world. Yeah. Well, a surveillance camera is on and there's a creepy guy in the security office watching them. He's got a gang and they are going after the girls. Uh, These are the stock boys led by a guy named Willie. Wait a Um, second. All right. So it's been like less than 24 hours and they're already starting to develop like warriors gang. Yes. Like stock boys and like clowns and stuff. That's kind of weird. I mean, things move fast in Los Angeles. I guess, man. They already got, like, you know, weird gangs, weird apocalyptic gangs. I mean, there was a Saturday Night Live sketch with um, Will Ferrell, and it was one of those morning news shows, but then the teleprompter stopped working. Yeah, and oh, within yeah. a few minutes, they had gone completely Lord of the Flies in that TV oh, yeah. studio. I love that shit, yeah. <laughs> and that's what this reminded me of. You know, last night we had a boss. This morning we don't. Let's make a gang. Uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> actually, yeah, it makes perfect sense, Santa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't have gangs sooner. It's like as soon as the comment is like, all right, that's good. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a great skit. Meanwhile, Sam just cannot let go of this conversation about Hector. She's playing sour grapes now, telling Regina, you know, maybe he's gay. Maybe 
he doesn't have he's looking for a boyfriend too <laughs> that's when the lights go out in the store and willie announces himself over the pa regina regina goes looking for their guns right away willie says that you know that that the girls have stolen merchandise from their store and how are you going to pay for all that we're going to come out and square this out right now well regina shoots the camera and that starts an all-out war major shootout in the department store sam doesn't have a gun so she's throwing shoes because if you don't have a gun you might as well throw shoes when in rome <laughs> Uh, several mannequins and stuffed toys are killed in this all-out battle. Uh, Regina tries to bluff that they have friends on the way, but that doesn't work. And outside, we see a helicopter landing near the cop car. The research folks have arrived in Los Angeles. It's just scientists in the helicopters, right? They don't have, like, armed guards or anything? Actually, no. They do have some armed guards with them. I could remember that. I know... I'm. Remember, some of the scientists had guns, right? And then some of them didn't. But they also so had like, guards posted at the facility as well. And I think they brought okay. some with them. And I think we'll see them here in just a second. Okay. Sam has made her way upstairs and she tries to drop a TV on one of the stock boys. She misses, but then she backs into another stock boy who she takes down with a knee to the crotch. And a ta-da! <laughs> the rest of the stock boys catch her on the stairs as she's running away and willie announces that if regina doesn't give up he's gonna kill sam now there's some weird editing here the stock boys caught sam on the first floor and took her back up to the second floor this is where she need the blonde stock boy regina yep. was down on the first floor hiding behind a sofa but now she's coming down from one of the third, like the third or fourth floor in the elevator with the blonde stock boy that Sam need in the crotch. And she's yeah, using that, him as a hostage. That whole mall is like, a, I don't know, like a Mobius strip or something. It's like just all over the place. Yeah, yeah it's kind of kind of defies reality in there. Well, Willie says he can't let Regina hold one of his people hostage. So he shoots the hostage. Outside, the scientists are trying to figure out where the survivors could have gone. Where would teenage girls go at the end of the world? Oh, I know. They'd go shopping. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to the super mall. Yep. Called it. Nailed it. Well, next we see Regina and Sam chained together on a pallet on a forklift. Um, Willie looks like. He's changing into a zombie. He's got his sunglasses on, even though they're in a dark room. And when he takes them off, his eyes are all sunken. It kind of looks like he might have inspired some Jim Carrey characters. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that one part in uh, Roger Rabbit when you actually see that the, the judge is like a cartoon. Right. Kind of creepy yeah. looking like a, just gaunt with like dark jacket on and stuff. Kind of weird. Yeah. Well, Willie is conducting a very sadistic game of Russian roulette. He has one bullet in a gun and he's pointing it at Sam's head and pulling the trigger over and over again. He's just about to pull the trigger on the on the actual bullet and kill Sam. And this is when the scientists and their 
armed guards show up and they take out all of the stock boys, just kill them all, just mow them down. The scientists are discussing Sam and Regina. Oscar thinks Sam is slowly progressing based on her itching rash. Apparently, this is a symptom of exposure to the comet dust. Hello? He, he doesn't want to take her back to the compound with Regina. Audrey just offers to stay with Sam and wait for Hector while they take Regina back to the compound. Oscar says, yeah, it's a good idea and I should probably wait with you. I don't think Oscar fully trusts Audrey, and he's probably got really good reason for that, too. Yeah. I mean, Audrey is the only one who's been dissenting against their decisions to to bring these survivors back to the compound anyway. Well, they go to the furniture section of the department store to uh, a bed so that Sam can lay down. Uh, Audrey says she's going to give Sam a shot for the rash. And as soon as he gives her this shot, it just knocks her out. Uh, in fact, she's super duper still. I think she might have just killed Sam. Yeah, she's like, oh, like, uh, no, this will be all right. And, uh, she's like, it's going to help me with that stuff out there, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's going to make everything better. And it's like, they start joking around and stuff. And then, like, midway sentence, she just, bam, and it's like gone. Yeah, she's out. And Oscar mentions something and and audrey says well what'd you expect me to do take her out back and shoot her so i think they believe that sam was exposed and and they just killed sam yeah and i think that one son a little mad that he didn't get to shoot her you know like uh i think like uh, they're gonna get it off on uh you know their rank. yeah yeah oscar's kind of kind of over the top there Audrey doesn't think Hector's going to come back, but Oscar wants to wait for him at the radio station. Audrey says she won't be party to taking anyone else back to the compound. And then she just shoots Oscar dead. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about that creep anymore. She had like a little gun hidden and stuff. And uh, she's like confronting him and stuff. And she's like, what do you want me to do, Oscar? Pull out my gun. Meaning she doesn't have a gun. They didn't trust right. her. To, and uh, yeah, she just. Boom, popping. Next, we see Hector on his way back in a really nice Buick convertible oh, and a yeah. Santa Claus costume. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a goofy shot of Hector running across the street to the radio station in his Santa Claus suit. He must have dropped something or spotted something on the ground because he has to double back and get it and then run into the radio station. Yeah. That's a take i like that that's funny yeah i don't know why he parked so far away or why he was running but it was a funny shot yeah inside regina and sam are gone but audrey has a gun aimed at hector she left hector a note and said that explains everything then she offers him the gun in case he doesn't have one of his own she wasn't pointing it at him she was offering it to him she's preparing he's preparing a syringe to inject herself while she explains that the scientists were all exposed to the comet by leaving the ventilation system open and that they're looking for survivors so that they can use their blood to make a cure for whatever is causing you know whatever the comet did to turn them into zombies but they don't have nearly as much time as they thought because all of the scientists will be dust in 36 hours and she injects herself with whatever's in the syringe, and Audrey's dead now. Damn. 
Yeah, she wasn't gonna. She wasn't gonna stick around to turn into a zombie. She just she took herself out. This is where like the movie starts to become like a bummer. Like everything up to this point was kind of like funny and lighthearted and stuff. There's a a couple of dark spots where like you know they start realizing like it's in the world, but then they kind of themselves up with going to the radio station and going to the mall and all that. But this this is like where the stuff starts just like, you know, I mean, the people that are in charge are supposed to be taking care of this. They're going crazy. They're dying, you know, and it's like, what? Well, this is just sad. This is like kind of like a bummer. Right. This has gone from campy teen adventure to it got real, real, real fast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah. Start setting in, you know? Yeah. Back at the base, Dr. Carter's trying to take Regina's medical history while she's fighting with tags on her clothes. She's deliberately avoiding answering all of his, any of his questions. In another room in the compound, unconscious people are being prepped to have their blood drawn. One of the, one of the women can't remember how much blood they're going to draw, but it's a, it's a lot. But they shouldn't worry too much about that because they've terminated all brain function on these people, turning them into brain-dead blood factories. This is, this is messed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's super dark. These, these guys are ruthless as hell. Yeah. And Carter's having trouble focusing while he's questioning Regina, so he puts on some sunglasses in a very dark room. Just like Willie had on very dark sunglasses in that dark basement. Regina wants to know where Sam is and, and Carter doesn't even doesn't even try to hide it. He just tells her straight out. Sam's dead. She was killed because she was exposed to the comet. Outside the room, Dr. Wilson informs Dr. Carter that Rogers is missing and may be transitioning into a zombie. Carter explains they can't wait for Audrey to return, prep the kids and Regina, and start making the serum. Back inside the room, Regina has knocked over a a table with a computer on it. And when Wilson tells her that, you know, breaking very expensive computer equipment isn't going to help you any, he goes over to try to set it all back up, and Regina just knocks him out. (laughs) She's got... Yeah, she just whacks him over the head with a piece of this computer. He is out, and she makes her escape. Outside the compound, Hector arrives at compound. He's dressed as a cowboy. Now he's not Hector. He's Heck Gomez. (laughs) (laughs) And he's talking to this guard at the fence. Guard's not happy to see him. Guard wants him gone. Hector calls him over. He says, I got something to show you. Come over here and look at this. And the guard does it like, you know, a guard totally wouldn't do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You like girls? I got one in the trunk here. And he opens up the trunk. The guard looks inside and it's Sam. She's not dead after all. And she takes this guard out. Booyah. There you go. Meanwhile, Regina's trying to find her way out of this compound. Wilson announces that she has escaped over the PA as Hector and Sam are breaking into the compound. Regina hides out in the room where the brain dead folks are being bled. 
she thinks she's managed to uh, evade the scientists that are looking for her until she backs into one of them. <laughs> Wilson was here all along, and he just gives her a good slap across the face and takes her to be prepped to have her blood drawn. We get another shot back outside the compound. Hector is planting dynamite under vehicles. I mean, just great big bundles of dynamite. Don't know where he got it, but he's prepared. Yeah, I I guess he got it at his grandmother's house. I don't know. I mean, any good grandma would have dynamite for when you come over, right? Yeah, although there's like the whole scene where the girls <laughs> were, you know, in the in the mall and they were locked up in that craziness, you know. Right. He had whole day to just like do false. I mean, you seen him when he came back to the radio station. He's dressed up as Santa Claus. That's true. That's he, true. There's so, no telling where he stopped. I yeah, I want to see that movie. It's like what like big adventure or something. It's like what what the hell happened to him? But yeah, so like yeah, he's just like you know going around like a Bugs Bunny cartoon playing the dynamite in people's cars. Yep. Back inside the compound, the kids are being prepped to have their blood drawn until somebody turns off all the power. Carter wants Wilson with him, and they're going to leave Regina with one guard. Carter's voice is getting really weird. It's getting really raspy. Now, we know that all these scientists were exposed to the comet dust through the ventilation system, and we know that Carter's got the dark sunglasses on in the dark building now, and now his voice is getting really raspy. It might be just about time for him to turn into a zombie. They leave Regina with one little guard to watch over her. And, and we know that's not enough. No. No. She takes his guard out without even trying. And now she has a gun. So she's going to go rescue the kids. Sam runs up behind Regina while she's trying to rescue the kids. Scares the crap out of Regina, so Regina takes a shot at her, thinking she's one of the scientists. Uh, that'll teach her to sneak up on somebody. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in the, the processing room, Carter tells Wilson he can give up if he wants. They still too have the two kids and a girl, but you know the, the people, the brain-dead people that they were bleeding out before, well, they're dead now. So you're not going to get any more blood from them. Regina and Sam, we see them next escorting kids out of the compound. Carter and Wilson go to the room where they thought the kids were. The only ones in there now are the two nurses. They're tied down. They're being, they've got laughing gas hooked up to them. So they're laying on the bed, giggling uncontrollably because that's what nitrous oxide does to you. It makes you giggle uncontrollably, right? Uh, eh, sometimes. <laughs> I just remember it sounded like, I don't know, like my head was in a toilet or something and everything was wavy. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah kind of like, like too many gasoline fumes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The kids are like, you know, the, the little girl, she's got like her stuff bunny and they're kind of giggling like Cheech and Chong or something or like Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. Right. Like giggling. Well, they get the kids on an elevator and they're headed up. The kids still have their hands up this whole time, too. Yeah. <laughs> Until Regina says, just put your kid, put your hands down. This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Once they get out of the compound, they all pile into Hector's car and they get ready to make their escape. But then Hector puts on the brakes. 
Oh, man. He's looking back behind him. Regina's, what the heck's going on? Let's get out of here. But now Hector's got a plan, and he starts taunting the scientists. He gives them a bird. But I get the feeling that Robert Beltran hadn't done that very frequently at some point because he's watching his hand the whole time he's making the bird gesture to make sure yeah. he gets it right. <laughs> That's you authority ever. It, it was right. kind of like he didn't want to get it filmed or something. So I was like, I'm just going to act like I'm giving the bird. And then you do a <laughs> far away shot. Where, like, <laughs> but I want her like you know my grandma was watching this i don't want her to see him, like you know but yeah that's <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm gonna write that off as like in the scene that character has been drinking you know so Maybe. uh yeah that is yeah he's like he looks at it he's like yeah that's the bird and he puts it up in the air, <laughs> in the air brings back down it makes an adjustment he's like and he goes back up to the air yeah there's an awkward couple of seconds there but then he starts doing more taunts at him. It's like, what the hell? You're like right at the gate. Just go. Oh, and then like you see, like they the do, they cut back inside the car, right? And the guy leans into the light, and the scientist, he's completely gone. He's full on ghoul zombie mode. Yeah. Yeah. They get in the car. Wilson says, You, you smell gas. And this one is also weird. This is weird editing here because. Carter takes off his glasses and yeah, he has transitioned to a zombie now. And he leans over to Wilson like he's going to eat him. But then you see his hand reach out and turn the key to start the car. Yeah. And that's off the dynamite and explodes everything. That's, I, yeah, I don't get that. Like he set the cars up with dynamite to explode like a car bomb. The after right. chasing. And then after the car explodes, that cool car explosion, which I love that, by the way. Then all of a sudden, there's... That was a great explosion. Yeah, it was. And then there's all of a sudden, like, on the side of, of uh, Hector's car, there's another scientist with zombie face. And... Uh, yeah. You think maybe it was that guard from earlier that, that him and uh, him and Sam took out? Well, no, because that guy was dressed up like a guard, and this guy's got, like, a lab coat on. Yeah. And it's like he just he's there and he grabs starts grabbing the kids and of course they get the kids back in the car and they just drive off. It's like it's Right. Yeah, Hector shoots him. He snatches the little girl out of Hector's car. Uh, they start fighting him off. Hector shoots him and then we cut to a rainstorm. The rain has come. It never rains in Southern California. <laughs> but, never say never man. But it, it did this time and it's washing the zombie comet dust and the sky is no longer red uh, all the dust is being washed off the streets and off the tree thing it's all going down in the storm drain the apocalypse is over and we have a nice shiny clean lossing uh, regina has the kids dressed up and she's taking pictures of them with an instamatic just just uh she's just having fun taking pictures is all she apparently hector and regina have taking guardianship of the kids she has decided that they're going to be parents and nobody's got a choice in this because regina said so <laughs> hector's stuffing all their guns in a trash bin whether it's to get rid of them or to store them i'm not real sure but yeah. he's got a lot of guns yeah what was that during the movie and stuff sam 
is standing on street corner contemplating becoming a nun. If you think the kids and Regina and Hector all look like the Brady Bunch, and they're all standing at the intersection, not crossing. Sam says, what the heck's going on? Come on. There's nobody here. And Regina says, we don't cross across against the light. Yeah, we don't do Regina, that. Regina, who wouldn't do what she was told to before all of this, is a stickler for the rules now. Well, she's got kids now. It's different. You don't want your kids crossing on a yellow light. That's so true. She says, there's nobody here. It's a ghost town. And about that time, a Mercedes comes speeding around the corner and almost runs Sam over. Yeah. <laughs> he does a, a very loud, very dramatic U-turn and comes back to check on Sam. He says, are you okay? You really shouldn't cross against the light. Yeah. And Sam really likes this guy's car. He says, thanks. I've got 23 of them. You want to go for a ride? <laughs> and it turns out Hector has decided he's going to be a parent too. We don't even know this boy. What's his name? <laughs> Very yeah. stereotypical dad. I have dating in the apocalypse, man. You got to become stepdad. Inevitable. Yep. Well, this guy's name is Danny Mason Keener. And Reg says, well, you can go, but you got to be back home before midnight. <laughs> okay, and Dad. they drive off. You know, Sam's finally got found a guy that Regina's not going to steal from him from her because she's got Hector. So yeah. She's satisfied now. She's got her boyfriend. And as they drive off, we see Danny's license plate. It's a customized license plate with the initials DMK, just like on the Tempest machine at the beginning of the movie. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> now, they drive off, and Regina and Hector and the kids, who will not cross against the light, apparently will walk out into the middle of the street to wave goodbye and play football. Oh, yeah, must out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hector and the boy are playing football. Regina and the girl are snapping pictures, cheering them on. Credits. And roll credits. That was that was a fun movie. Yeah, it's it was like uh, a boy and his dog for me. It was like it's hard to really talk about it and stuff because it's, it's so engaging. Like every time I see it, I, I'm getting into it. The only thing I don't like about it is the music. I would have went with like some cooler songs, but I know how like they used to do soundtracks back in the day. And it... yeah, that's very generic. Music. Yeah, it's kind of like early '90s adult contemporary music, uh, what? or what we would refer to as light rock back light in rock. the early yeah. '80s. Yeah, it's elevator stuff, and it didn't fit the Valley Girl kind of like edginess to it. Yeah, it was weird. It's like, man, like. Parents wouldn't even listen to this crap music that's in this thing. And it's, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love that movie, man. Was there something about this movie uh, that stuck with you after after it was over? That that is something you picked up here or learned here that you took with you, either in uh, in your acting or in how you choose scripts or something like that. Well, um, I would I would say. What really, it was sort of a retrospective thing, ultimately. You know, you do a movie. I mean, it was done, what, in 83 or something? So that was a long time mm -hmm. ago. It was one of my very first projects. And, but at that time, I was very, very busy. I was 
so you finish a film, it's a low budget thing, and you just kind of like hope for the best, but you're distracted and you move on at that point. But so, um, you know, 20 years later or something, or 30 years later, whatever, it's like I do these conventions and people are like, oh, they, um, Night of the Comet was like my favorite movie ever. And I watched it 70 times and I wanted to be you and all this. And I was like, wow, you know, it was kind of this delayed sort of reaction um, from, I mean, or knowledge really. I didn't really un understand. It did okay in the theaters, but I think it really lived sort of on VHS and maybe with kids that were coming home from school and their mother or their parents were working or something like that. So it acted almost like a babysitter, but it really had an influence on so many kids, but I had no idea until I started meeting some of these people. And I'm so kind of, you know, proud to have been a part of it because even the fact that it was a couple, it was, a, you know, female driven, you know, the protagonists are like, these strong young women, they're you know, valley girls or whatever, but but they can totally look after themselves. Um, it didn't really, it, I it it didn't feel like it was some weird thing outside the box until like way later, and and I'm I I'm really you know so happy to be a, a part of that because it showed young girls that yeah, you can take care of yourself. You don't always have to have some guy come in and rescue. But he, I, again, it wasn't something that I was super conscious of at the time. Uh, but now I'm really so happy that so many kids, boys and girls were really influenced, you know, by it. Well, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and, and our couple dozen listeners. Um, oh, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Where Love can you folks guys. find you? All 12 of you. <laughs> or 24. <laughs> Where can folks find you to follow what you're up to now? Yeah. I mean, I'm on um, social media. I'm on Facebook at Catherine Mary Stewart. I'm on Twitter. My handle is C-M-S-A-L-L -L because Catherine Mary Stewart was too big at the time. <laughs> I don't know if you can do that now. <laughs> um, but if you do hashtag Catherine Mary Stewart, you should find me. Um, if you got, uh, I'm in on Instagram, Catherine Mary Stewart. Um, if people want to contact me directly, I'm at info at katherinemarystewart.com. Um, I have a website, but it's down right now. I, I have to find myself a new website builder. If anybody has any suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and but if you want like signed photos or something like that, I, I just send me, um, you know, uh, send me an email at info at katherinemarystewart.com. I go through PayPal, I charge like $35 for a photo plus some postage. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, I'm also on cameo.com, which is where you get personalized video messages. Um, so yeah, you know, reach out. I love, I, I really try to respond as much as I can to, um, to people. So, cause you know, if it wasn't for the audience, I wouldn't be here. So I, I really respect that. Yeah, and uh, uh, thanks again to uh, Catherine Mary Stewart for joining us and adding her commentary to this. That was very cool of her to take time out of her day to sit down with us and, and discuss it. We really appreciate that. Make sure you follow her on social media and let her know how much you appreciate her work. Thank you, Miss Stewart. You rock. We love you.
All right, man. That's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFpod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDF Pod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.